Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to talk about TV writing incubators as well as the evolution of our industry and how uh, competitive it's gotten. And this episode is going to be a little more conversational. We just want to kind of talk about these programs and our general thoughts on the state of everything. So it won't be as prepared of a topic as uh, we might usually do. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit uh, meandering at times. If that's not really your thing. Feel free to skip that episode. We won't hold it against you and uh, we'll see you next week. But otherwise, let's get started. So we're going to give a little overview of what a TV writing incubator is for those of you who are unaware or might not know all the details. Typically, these programs are more creator centric. So while all of the typical network fellowships are about training writers to be a staff writer in a room, these programs are actually trying to foster creators and showrunners who will make material that can then be immediately turned into a TV series. Yeah, they're essentially turning that incubator format, very common in VCs and the venture capitalists in the Silicon Valley to TV writing and this idea of shepherding a, a TV pilot and a TV series from the ground up. Yeah, as Alex said, it's, it's a very common thing in the tech industry to take all of these sort of like software startups and apps and things like that and put them through this kind of like meat grinder boot camp of here's some money sit down and work 20 hours a day on on developing it into something that you know we want to put money into and sell although i think that maybe the conditions are a little more humane in the tv writing side of things right yeah <laughs> i can only imagine how uh, grinding the work is in the silicon valley side anyway let's go over some of the tv running incubators available right now yeah, so these have really cropped up fairly recently, maybe just in the last year or two. The two main ones that most people might have heard of is firstly Imagine Impact, which comes from the company Imagine run by Ron Howard and Brian Grazer, obviously a pretty big company that made a lot of stuff, but they were really the first one to kind of introduce this to people. I guess it was sometime middle of 2018 that it, that it came out. Yeah, and it's interesting because even though it came out so recently, we're already in the second version of that program, and probably there's going to be a third one this year. So they're really trying to churn as many amazing creators and as many amazing projects as they can in that span of time. Yeah. And so the way that Imagine Impact works is they're actually recruiting, I guess, 20 creators. This is what they call the writers in the program. And they're working with five, what they call shapers, who are mm. mentors. It sounds kind of like very mystical and elven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Odo. That's a DC Snyder reference. Uh, so these 20 writers are working with these five mentors who are helping support them along the way developing their program. Uh, each of the creators gets paid $40,000 in total over the eight weeks of the program to be sitting there and working on this stuff. Yeah, in terms of the application process, it is pretty in-depth. Uh, first of all, you do need a 30-second video sort of overlining uh, what you're going to be bringing to the program. But the big chunk of the application is a series of essays, uh, in-depth essays about sort of what the project you're pitching is in terms of the characters, the themes, the arcs, the antagonists, uh, who you want to direct, and so forth, as well as a full-length screenplay or teleplay. It doesn't have to be that project, but it is a lot of work in that application front-loaded. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the criteria that they're looking for, they haven't really set any hard limits. Like you don't have to necessarily have an agent or a manager or have worked before professionally. But looking at the previous crops of people, it seems like there's a mix of people who have already been working professionally as writers, whether on shows or developing, selling pilots, and then some who just seem to be sort of promising aspiring writers who have maybe done a fellowship program before or have started to get their foot in the door. 
I don't see anyone on there who just wrote their first screenplay out of nowhere. Like they have some, some leeway into the industry already. Right. And you can also see that in the, again, just to go back on the application side of things, the level of depth that is required just to enter to begin with would only allow writers who know how to write and also pitch themselves as well as the project. So that's a quite, perhaps a low barrier of entry because the application is free after all, but uh, it is clearly oriented towards industry related people. Now let's look at the second big one that cropped up recently, and that's the Rideback TV incubator, which is not only a few weeks, but eight months. And it's also free. Yeah. So this is from the company Rideback, which I believe was formerly known as Lynn Pictures. They've done the Lego movie and a whole bunch of other things. And it's backed by MRC, which is Media Rights Capital. It's a very big studio that's done everything from Ozark through to a bunch of uh, famous movies and stuff. Again, like a very well-established company in the industry. These aren't just nobodies working out of their garage trying to source (laughs) applications from writers, you know? And so for this one, they're only bringing on eight writers, which is significantly less than Imagine Impact. But again, it is a much longer program over eight months. And they're pairing up each of these writers with experienced mentors and producers. Right. And there's also a pretty substantial monetary compensation because unlike the other program, it's not just a few weeks, it's eight months. Uh, and that payment is $150,000 divided weekly over that course of the eight months. In terms of the submissions for that, again, it's free to apply, but very detailed process. Again, you have to submit a personal essay. You need two industry recommendations that aren't just from your agent or manager or whatever. And you actually have to have already been staffed on a TV show before. That's kind of like the minimum barrier for entry. That's actually a pretty big barrier of entry. I think it's worth looking into right now. That sense of you need to have been staffed just to apply, which is interesting for a program that's sort of looking for new projects. Yeah, exactly. And, And again, once you get through the second round, there's more. There's that 30-second video. You're pitching your project ideas. So this is a lot of work done on the front end for, for nothing in the hopes of getting into one of these programs. It's also worth noting that the rideback is only for drama series, but it can be half hour or hour long. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I have, to, I have to be much more dramatic. I'll take all the jokes out of one of my comedies and submit it. We'll see how I go. Similar to the Imagine Impact, if you know these projects are great and they get picked up and they want to go places, then the creators are going to get their executive producer credits, their writing credits at the WGA, and then basically ride back in MRC and all the other mentor producer people kind of attach onto this project and they go out and try to sell it for you if it's something that they're passionate about. Absolutely. And the last one we did want to mention, even though it's not quite a full incubator program, but it's worth mentioning because we haven't really dug into it uh, previously, and that is the Sundance Episodic Lab, which is a little bit more famous than the two programs that we just mentioned. Uh, it's only six days and there is a $40 entry fee. Although you do get that year-round continuum support from the Sundance Institute. And there's only 10 projects selected per lab. In terms of the application process, applicants are required to submit only the first five pages of their pilot as well as a bio, but also in terms of the project, they need to submit a series logline, a series overview, a personal statement, a thematic statement, as well as, this is an optional thing, but they can also submit links to samples of previous work along with their $40. And that gets them into this six-day program at that Sundance Resort. And again, they're working with mentors as well. The last thing really quickly we did want to mention are all the sort of other tertiary incubator or maybe mentorship programs that do exist at schools like LMU, even though they're not quite the same because it's not really oriented for the same kind of people. Obviously, uh, LMU and so forth are really looking at students as opposed to these other programs, which theoretically are trying to develop and kickstart actual projects and 
and careers. Right. So, I mean, here's the thing about these labs. Obviously, they're great opportunities if you have a body of work that's ready for this and that you're able to get into one of them. I'm sure it does wonders for your career. So anything that we say is not going to be knocking against the programs themselves. They do seem like they will genuinely be very useful to people. It's just, it's more kind of what these programs mean to the industry as, as TV writers and how things are kind of shaping up if you want to be a creator, if you want to get your foot in the door in the industry and what it kind of means for the evolution of, of all of that. Absolutely. I think that's the, the crux of at least my issue. Maybe it is yours as well. This idea that it is so hard to break in now that we've actually codified this concept of a lottery system and not just a lottery system, but a lottery system where you have to put a substantial amount of work up front just to be able to enter that lottery. If you look at the applicant process of those programs, there's a lot of work that is front-loaded by the writer. Obviously, the programs need to do their own due diligence, can't just accept anyone. However, even on that first round, you have so many questions and so many essays to answer uh, just to even be eligible. Right. It feels like a college application or something, (laughs) but, you know, and I can understand all of that when it comes to say the network fellowships who really are looking for uh, writers who are just getting up on their feet. They can be someone from nowhere who's just written their first script. If it's brilliant. And if they're an interesting person, if they have stories to tell, they're trying to find this undiscovered talent and raise it up through the ranks and get them on that base level of now we can staff you on a show and you can begin your career. Whereas these incubators do seem to be a little bit more towards let's make you a show creator, which is not necessarily something at the beginning of their right. career is ready to do. Yeah. And, and again, uh, to that point, if you look at the people who are being selected, who are being considered, uh, they're not nobodies from uh, Ohio. There are people who live in LA who some of them have been staffed in the case of Imagine Impact. All of them will have been staffed in the case of the right back incubator. So it's not the same kinds of people that they're looking for. So that amount of sort of work upfront that you're putting in is a little bit different. Yeah. And it seems like when you're at the point where you've been staffed on a show before, you most likely have representatives. You've been taking meetings around town with people. Uh, It feels like that's how the industry should then continue to operate. If you want to sell a show somewhere, you get your agent or your manager to send it out to producers and take it around to studios and networks and you go on a bunch of pitches and that's how it works. It feels weird to suddenly be pulling everyone back one step and saying, oh no, that's not how it works for you yet. Let's put you all through this kind of like lottery system, like you're saying. Yeah. And I think what you're hitting on is this idea that even though you've been vouched for by all these people, right? If you've been staffed, how many people have you been vouched for by that point? You know, the showrunner, the network, the studio, your managers, your reps, everyone. And still you need to then apply to this lottery system with this application process just to get the potentiality of having your project be developed with these people. Obviously, you know, the project in of itself is amazing and and the incubator itself as a concept is great. But what we're talking about here is this idea that this despite all the work you're putting in and despite your brig, essentially, it's still not being valued as what it is. Yeah, it feels almost like an extension of how the rest of the job market is in that years ago, if you graduated high school, that's all you needed. You could go get a job somewhere, get a good salary, work your way up. Now you need a college degree minimum. And even then, it's not good enough. Now you need a graduate degree. Now you need five years experience or an entry level position. It feels like now it's working its way back into the entertainment industry where at one point, perhaps, you know, good material is good material and it's going to find its way there. And now it's kind of like you have to jump through all these other hoops as well. Yeah. And it's pretty tragic. I 
think, like you said, it's the state of our world in our industry. And maybe this is the millennial uh, crying hour or the, you know, Gen Z or whatever. <laughs> but the reality is that the people who are applying to those programs have that effort and have been vouched for. And yet they're still not getting, you know, recognized for that amount of work. So it's a bit strange that we're moving backwards in a way where instead of breaking in a new people, we're trying to break in the people who have already had their break. Totally. And it reminds me a little bit of some of the kind of funding that's out there for screenwriters, say in Australia through um, government sponsored programs where they're like, oh, we have a writer's placement in a writer's room in one of these shows in Sydney. And you're going to go in there for two weeks or a month or whatever and see what it's like to be in a writer's room. And it's like, wow, that seems like such an incredible opportunity for someone who's maybe just graduated or is working in the industry, but hasn't gotten their first writing gig yet. But then you look at the requirements for it. And it is that you have to have been working before as a writer and you have to be part of the Writers Guild Association or whatever already, which is another hoop to jump through. And then you need recommendations to people in the industry. And then the person who ended up getting it had been working for like 15 or 20 years just in comedy and he wanted to be placed into a drama writer's room to see what it was like. And it's like, why do the opportunities go right. to people who are already working professionals when there should be more avenues for people on their way up. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, it does undermine all that work and it undermines everyone because it undermines the up and comers who are still trying to break in and trying to make their market. It undermines the work that the people who have been staffed uh, have done to be staffed uh, because they're, again, pushed down to the level of applying to these programs. It undermines the people who have their work being developed organically without having to apply to these programs. Uh, it really is a shame uh, that we have to to codify and, and sort of create this competition system for every single facet of this industry. And perhaps that's just a testament to how competitive the world is, and especially Hollywood. But I feel it's kind of sad that we have reached this point. Yeah. And it does feel like this really does serve the best interests of the production companies and the studios more so than the writers, because they have everyone doing all the work for them up front instead of taking a meeting and developing a relationship with a writer and letting something evolve organically and hearing their ideas and giving them feedback and whatever. They just kind of get to have a thousand writers show up at their door with their packets completely ready and they get to read through and decide which ones they want. So in terms of efficiency, it's great for them. But as writers, it does feel like you're just kind of being thrown into that lottery again and you're not being given the same opportunity to kind of stand on your own merits. Yeah, the balance of power is in favor of the producers and the production companies as opposed to the writers, where theoretically it's supposed to be even, right? You know, you're coming into a project oh, let me hear that project. Maybe I'm interested. Maybe you seem interesting as a person. I don't have to buy that project necessarily, but I still want to work with you. As opposed to this thing where here, let me give you on the silver platter, this finished project from start to finish. Here are all the characters. Here are all the arcs. Here's the entire Bible of this show that I wrote for free. And here it is for you. Now, please help me make it a reality. Right. And that's all development work that should be paid for. And, you know, the WGA and John August and those people have been going on about this thing where it's like, don't leave work behind when you're in a yep. pitch. Don't give them a free one page or don't give them a free Bible. That's work that you need to be paid for to do because this is our profession and this is how we make money. Like, realistically, being a writer doesn't pay that well once you average it out over everything, especially in your early career. So if everyone's expecting you to do work for free and if you're lucky, you get maybe one staff job for 15, 20 
weeks in a year, you're still just earning a pretty normal amount of money once you, that has to cover everything that you do and all of your healthcare and all of your guild fees and everything. So it sucks to kind of be squeezing even more yeah. out of those people who are already squeezed. Yeah, don't forget that being a TV writer or in fact being a writer at all is a freelance job at the end of the day because you do not know when your next job is gonna be. You do not know how long you have on the job you are in. It is a precarious industry. That's the reality we live in. Now, making it as if uh, you're gonna have that big break even though you're being staffed is a bit of a joke in a way because you look at the people who've gone through certain programs and who have finally gotten that staff writer job. So many of those people will have to repeat that staff writing job many times in their career. It's the same evaluation of that work you're putting in and that break that you have that is represented here. Right. And, and I don't think you can even realistically argue that this is democratizing the process of being a creator or a writer in the way that you could even suggest that, you know, the fellowship thing does because so much of the entry into this is still predicated upon A, being staffed, B, having industry recommendations from people working already. So it's not like this opens the floodgates in the way that, you know, Amazon Studios tried to where literally anyone can submit a TV project and the cream will rise to the crop. This is still putting a bunch of barriers to entry in place that are effectively already there in the industry anyway. So it just yeah. feels it feels weird to codify this into a college application program type thing. Imagine if before every staffing meeting, you had to fill out this insane application about why did you write this pilot? Why do you think you're good for this show? Uh, what are you bringing to the table? What's your whole backstory? Let me list up front all the ideas that you bring to the writer's room before I even see you in it. Right, exactly. That was going to be my kind of next thought is like, where does this end? I mean, as much as the slippery slope argument is a, is a logical fallacy, it really does feel like that could be the next step is before we even get staffed on a show, we need you to write a spec episode of the show and whoever writes the best one of the episodes will get in or yeah, submit your full application and 20 pitches for episode ideas. And we're going to take whoever has the best one. Like that really is problematic for writers. And I think the guild would have an issue with if this keeps increasing as well. Even though it's paid, we've already seen versions of that in terms of the mini rooms that are being created. Now it's more and more common to see production companies and networks create these mini rooms of five to 10 people, if not less, to write out a certain season of a show without a promise of it being produced. It's essentially, let's see how much content we can get and let's see if it's worth us producing it, which is fair on a production standpoint. However, the whole point of being a TV writer is to have your content produced. So now we don't even have that promise that it is gonna be produced even though we're writing those scripts. Right. And it happens on a TV level and a feature level in terms of the bake-offs they have by bringing in writers to pitch on projects as well. It's like, what's your take on this property? And you spend time, you know, whether or not you write it down and give it to them as a document, you're still handing them ideas that you've worked on for free with no guarantee that you're ever going to be compensated for that. And so are 50 other writers. Yeah. AMC has rightfully been criticized for those bake-offs because like you said, it's so much work up front. Let's do this dog and pony show for you without any promise that anything is going to come out of it. And we're not even being paid for the work we're doing right now to do that dog and pony show. Yeah. And again, like I, I don't think you can make the democracy argument for that either, because ultimately, even if a, an unknown, untried creator comes in with a brilliant take on something, they probably just end up buying the take and putting a more experienced writer on to write it anyway. So, you know, it, it doesn't open things up in any way or advantage writers. It does seem like all of these trends are leaning towards making things easier for the studios and the networks and the producers who really don't need that help. It's the writers who are starting to suffer in this climate. Can you pass the whiskey? I'm getting really sad right now. <laughs> well, to that feeling of uh, 
helplessness. What are our thoughts on ways of maybe not fixing it, but ways of improving the situation? I mean, I don't have any brilliant solutions off the top of my head, but I do think that the the trend that it needs to start following is more respect, I guess, for the work of writers and the effort that they put in and appropriate compensation for that level of work as well. Not expecting so much free stuff up top and pitting so many people against each other. But at the same time, I don't see any financial or economical incentive for the people who are making these decisions to do that because they're getting away with it as it is. So it would have to be something coming from uh, the union, from the Writers Guild, from things like that, and putting that pressure back on them to be compensating writers appropriately, which is what they do at these negotiations all the time. You brought up the whole John August uh, mentioning uh, don't leave a, a pitch document in that meeting, which is fair if you are the level of John August. If you are the level of a writer starting out, you don't have that leverage. You don't have that opening, that opportunity of having that job. So you need to make as much of an impression as you can, which is why it is unfair for those companies to ask for that amount of work because they don't understand the amount of work that we have to put in just to be able to to be in the room where it happens. Now, cue Hamilton soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, it comes down to studios and production companies and producers being willing to take more of a risk on someone that they believe in and trust that if I pay them X thousand dollars to develop a Bible or something like that for this series, that they're going to do good work. And then with your feedback, they're going to give you something that's good rather than having to pit 50 different writers against each other and then select the best one for you, you know? I mean, the system is already there. That's the problem. There is already a system there in terms of the apprenticeship of it all, of moving up the ladder of staff writer. The problem is there's not enough opportunities given at those levels, right? It's all the same people who are sort of hoarding the same positions and same opportunities up top. It's the classic fallacy of trickle-down economy mixed with TV writing itself. Those people up top are going to give us the opportunity for the people down there. The reality is you got to create those opportunities to begin with for those openings down there. Exactly. And if they had their pick of things, they would have the writer with 20 years experience come in and give them a take. But those writers know their worth and they know that they're going to have to be paid to do that, which is why they go to the aspiring writers who are just desperate enough and just willing to put that work in. So it is sort of like a predatory system in a way. Yeah. And it's very common in terms of the writers rooms of it all to see writers rooms that are staffed top heavy, more and more rooms now because of those mini room scenarios, because of those very tight constraints in terms of production and the development cycle of those shows, a lot of those rooms are now very top heavy with at most, uh, maybe a mid-level, maybe, you know, no lower levels at all. I've, I've definitely heard of shows on certain networks and production companies to not even have a single lower level, right? Only EPs, producer levels. Yeah. That's insane to me. Right. It definitely seems like rooms are getting smaller and rooms are getting more top heavy. And there was an article we talked about a couple of months back about how like the middle class of, uh, you know, the writing industry and stuff is really getting squeezed. And maybe there are a couple opportunities to come in right at the bottom. And there are a ton of opportunities if you're already established at the top, but those mid-level writers are also getting eked out in the same way that the lower level writers are. And, you know, if they can get away with it and do these mini rooms and have stuff written up beforehand, and that's what they do in, in Britain and Australia as well. It's like now the U.S. is trending towards that. I think that's the the thing that confuses a lot of people is when you look at the amount of content in TV, we've reached peak TV. We have so much content, so many shows. That would mean so many writers rooms, so many openings. The reality is they are not that many openings because most of the shows you care about 
don't have a hundred riders. They have at most 10, if not five, if not three, if not two, if not a single rider riding every single episode of that season. So it's not really giving more opportunities for the lower levels. It's just giving more opportunities for those producers and those high levels to develop more shows. Right. Some of that is a function of the trend towards both shorter episode orders. So that is manageable for a single rider to write six to eight episodes of a season. Uh, the longer lead times towards that, because we're not working to maybe a traditional network schedule where things need to be out on time, where you do need that big writer's room because things can come out on streaming and you can work on it for two years before it gets released with however many writers you have. I feel like there could be some impetus from either the union or the, well, I was going to say the studios of production companies. I don't see that moving in any direction. But in terms of guaranteeing that access, uh, not just through the lower levels, but guaranteeing more openings on every room, on every show, there used to be this whole thing of if you have maybe 15 plus episodes, one, two, or three of those episodes have to be given out as freelance episodes. Those episodes were usually given to assistants or friends of the showrunners, but there's ways of access to a wider audience. Maybe one of those episodes on an eight episode show can be a freelance something. Well, maybe not that idea. I don't know if that would work in cohesively within the room. However, there are ways of integrating a greater access, maybe have certain writers be able to sit in a room. You can sign whatever NDAs you want. I would want to sit in the room of The Good Fight or whatever show yeah. you love. I mean, the WJ used to have an internship program, right? Where they would put someone in a room just like that to observe. And I think that that would be really valuable for, for certain people. So maybe those kind of initiatives need to start making their way back as well. Less uh, work up front, more opportunities down there. I think that's what we want. <laughs> Yeah. And if you guys as listeners have any thoughts on this, or if you have maybe any suggestions for how you might see the industry um, perhaps rallying around and fixing this issue, we'd love to hear those. Reach out to us on uh, via the email, via Facebook stuff, follow, uh, support us on Patreon, and we'll talk to you there. But um, you know, we'd really love to hear like as aspiring writers, what does this mean for you? How is this affecting you? And you know, how do you think that we could potentially resolve this? Absolutely. I think we are here to share our thoughts, but we love to hear the thoughts of our uh, listeners who are also living through the same things that we are living and sort of seeing your perspective on everything, the evolution of the industry from the top down or even from the upper down. If you're, you know, a higher level, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the evolution of this industry. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode. But before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, you'll get exclusive content, opportunities, and merch, and we can keep producing a great show for you every week. And also we'll have some amazing guests coming up. So if you are Patreon subscribers, you are able to ask them questions. And trust me, you will want to ask the guests that we are having pretty soon some questions. Absolutely. You're going to get that direct access and your questions will be answered on air. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. You can get all the show notes for this episode at paperteam.co slash 125. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. Like we said, uh, if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes or thoughts, you can send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to be talking about how to stay productive as a writer in the off season when you're maybe not working on a show or what you can be doing to kind of keep everything on track. Everything from your routine to finding hobbies to different gigs you can have. Absolutely. So tune in for that. See you next week. See you then.